These are real people. They do have struggles. And it starts to get on my nerves. I just shut down. So many people suffer from mental illness. To get the word out that men have got to start talking. A lot of people don't understand the depth of the situation, so mm -hmm. they can't appreciate, yeah. It's difficult dealing with our minds, and the suicidal thoughts were back. People knew that there was something not right, but they just never really said anything or probably felt like it wasn't their place to say anything. You're not depressed, it's, it's all in your head. That's probably the statement I've had people say the most. I mean, this, this, this shit is real and it's hard, it's exhausting. Sometimes you need somebody to just give you permission. And I think people realise how helpful that one conversation can be just to figure out why you are feeling the way you are. Not only did this help me to write it, it potentially might have helped some other people as well. So it sort of started from there. People just want to know that they're, they just want to know that they're safe to talk and share these things. So many people think they're alone. And then you hear other people talk about it and they think, oh, that's, you know, that's so brave or I could relate to that. Um, and then they want to talk about it. Hello and welcome to the Open Journal podcast. I hope you're well, hope things are good for you right now. And welcome to the new year. In this episode, I'm delighted to say we're joined by a new guest. Johnny is with us today. Johnny's an author and it's going to be interesting to talk about one of his books, which is Match Fit, where he looks at mental health in football. We talk a little bit about depression, anxiety, and a range of other mental health illnesses and symptoms, and how they can be present, seen, discussed within sport, but particularly within football. And what it was like for Johnny with his own lived experience, talking, researching, and writing about mental health within this football field. A big thank you to all of you for continuing to download, listen, and subscribe to the podcast, and for continuing to engage as we go into 2024. Hopefully you enjoy this episode and maybe you click on some of the links to find out more about Johnny at the end. Additionally, if you would like to leave a review on your podcast platform of choice, you can do that and that does help other people discover this podcast, the conversations and the signposting that happens here as well. Additionally, if you'd like to be a guest yourself in the future, you can have a look at the website, which is Open Journal BC, and find out more information about being a guest there. As I say, thank you so much for continuing to support the podcast, and thank you to Johnny for sharing some of his own lived experience and expertise. I'm delighted to say, here is the first episode of Open Journal in 2024. Johnny, it's lovely to sit down and have the opportunity to chat with you this evening. Um, how are you and how's your week going? Yeah, thanks for having me on, Mike. Really appreciate it. Um, yeah, nice busy start to the week. Always good. Um, had a strange weekend. I'm usually at the football every single weekend. Um, our game actually got rained off on Saturday, so I've been uh, fortunately left without the crushing disappointment of watching uh, another Sutton defeat. So I guess, you, yeah, <laughs> at least we're not coming off to the, uh, to the Monday of a... Uh, of a bad start from the weekend, I guess. Oh, I feel like we're we're right in that period now, aren't we? I think I think possibly this episode's going to go up in January, but we're talking in December, and I imagine the weather is much the same, where there's lots of um, issues with, with basically out, any outdoor sport, but particularly when you're looking at like fan attendance at football, must be very difficult to gauge as well when you or people you know are going along and how you kind of keep updated with some of the fixtures and things like that yeah well at least it was well, it was meant to be a home game um so i felt very sorry for our, our visitors from harrogate so they would have been well on their way down to sutton <laughs> just a long old way um when it got called off about 11 o'clock so it could have been worse um certainly not complaining i'm sure by the time it comes out in january you will have had many uh similar situations <laughs> many troubles that i'll have endured <laughs> in the time between to, to look forward to yeah i'm i'm sure i'm I think um, it's it's always one of those things that you don't sort of notice until you get involved in sport as to how many issues there are, particularly in this country around organised outdoor activities are just there's a lot of crossing your fingers on yeah. on things you wouldn't think there would be. Yeah, absolutely. It's a rough time of year um, to be a football fan when, when the games are on it's miserable weather. You stood there two degrees, freezing cold. The Tuesday night games um, mm -hmm. always get you as well. 
Um, so yeah, looking forward to the summer. Get me to the European Championships in Germany. <laughs> 30 degrees. That's what I've <laughs> got circled in my calendar to get me through it. That feels quite different to right now, doesn't it? <laughs> oh, we can dream. We can dream. <laughs> um, obviously, we're sitting down uh, to have a conversation about some of the project work that you've been doing and your work as an author um, and kind of sharing your own experience as well. But it'd be interesting to hear kind of where your first involvement in football came first, I think, um, and kind of how your, your journey through the sport has started. Yeah, as long as I can remember, really, I've always been obsessed with football. Um, my dad's a big football fan, um, so he's actually a Middlesbrough supporter. He moved down to London before I was born. So I kind of grew up um, well, as an Arsenal fan, to be honest. Um, a bit of an admission there. When I was very young, um, they were the most successful team in the country at the time. They'd just done their invincible season um, when, I was, when I was about four years old, I think. Um, I remember watching them beat Man United on penalties in the FA Cup final 2004, 2005, something like that. Um, I don't have enough of an encyclopedic mm. knowledge to, to tell you the year, but um, to grow up supporting Arsenal, as soon as I was then young enough, uh, old enough, sorry, to, to get out of the house on my own, um, starting with my local team, um, my dad brought me to see them uh, when I think we, we had like a season ticket. He used to work for a company that sponsored the club. Um, so I went down to Sutton a few times on that when I was five, six, seven years old. Um, and as soon as I was old enough to go out on my own, Sutton became my team. Um, had a season ticket there ever since, really. Um, I've barely missed a game in 11, 12 years now. Um, and it's been a great ride. Um, I've always played the sport as well, uh, never particularly well. Um, always as a hobby. I still play on a, you know, like a five-a-side league on a Wednesday night and it, it keeps me active. Um, but yeah, really watching football has always been a huge part of my life, my routine especially, um, just keeps me ticking over. Like Whatever's happening um, throughout the week, I've always got football to look forward to at the end of it, unless it gets rained off. So um, <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a great uh, bit of stability really to have in my life. It sounds really interesting, like that journey as well, just from kind of almost, I don't know, being a fan or following uh, like an elite level professional club to switching over to more of a, a, a local club. I think it's, in, from my point of view, it's something that we hear every so often. There are campaigns about like get involved with your grassroots or your local club. Um, particularly sometimes when we see like FA Cup fixtures as well, there's that push to go and follow, like your local team might be on TV or might be having a like a, a more publish, a publicized or covered fixture. Um, but it sort of seems to drop in and out. I think we have so much coverage of those elite level teams. What was that experience like, although being quite young and following an elite level team and then sort of having that your own experience with your own club and that being kind of your local club? Yeah, it's so different. I mean, when I was an Arsenal fan, it was basically everyone in my school would support either Arsenal, Chelsea, Man United couple that supported Liverpool but we're, we're talking you know 2005 2006 where the, basically the three best teams in the country mm. Arsenal Chelsea Man United and everyone supported one of them in the playground so you kind of felt like you had to be um one of those three and the community if you like um at that age is the primary school playground realistically so by supporting one of those three teams you, you kind of drew your battle lines almost you, you had your mates that were Arsenal fans you could have a bit of banter with a the kids your age that supported Chelsea or, or Man United. Um, but then I, I always joke that I, I kind of grew out of supporting Arsenal. I, I never really went to any of the games. Um, went to Highbury a few times to watch them play Middlesbrough um, because my dad took me as a Middlesbrough fan. Um, but then I grew up, got to the age of 12, 13. Um, and then the, the, the community changed um, and it was it became Sutton, really. And this is what I loved so much about the club, what drew me back in. And it's the same, um, like you say, with, with any lower league team, really. Is it just feels like you know everyone there. Um, mm. you, you, you turn up, you get to know people. I mean, there's people there that I've, I've known for since I was a kid, since I was 12 years old. And people that I still speak to now, people that I've grown up with, um, supporting something with. You feel like if you didn't go, or if, if I didn't go to the game the weekend coming, you'd have people saying, well, are you okay? Where were you? Mm. Um, it was if I did have a season ticket at Arsenal and uh, I didn't renew it it would just be on to the next one on the waiting list and move on kind of as if you were never really there 
and that, that's what I love about Sutton. I always encourage people to to check out their local team, uh, particularly if it is Sutton. I, I've dragged a lot of mates down um, from from school, from work, from random house parties in the area, and it that I've got a kind of little community out of that as well. <laughs> people love it um, when you when you really see the the kind of um, feel good or, or family feel to it I would say mm. yes the football's not as good as what you get in the Premier League but it's still not bad it's still a very good standard um, so yeah it's, it's absolutely fantastic I mean the, the FA Cup run we um, you might remember about six years ago now we played Arsenal um, in the it was the FA Cup fifth round you got to the last 16 wow. and played Arsenal and obviously that was sold out we could have sold out 10 times over Um Something like 200 million people were apparently watched it worldwide. Don't uh, ask me to produce the source on those figures. That's what we were told at the club. And it, it was just an amazing occasion. And our crowds have pretty much doubled since then. Loads of people got the bug. Um, one of my best mates I go to now, uh, go to certain games with now, sorry. Um, he is also an Arsenal fan. And for him, that must have been a, a weird experience. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a great, it's the centre of the community really in Sutton. It is Sutton United Football Club. And I'm, I imagine it's the same for, for all local clubs all around the country as well. It's that connection, I think, is often the thing that's spoken about, as you did there, of you 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 are part of the club as a fan, as a um, supporter, rather than like, just another person in a seat that can be kind of rotated in and out. And I think increasingly... I guess kind of in line with our conversation when you're looking at kind of having that support network for for someone that might be struggling with certain aspects of their their well-being to have that kind of community around you I imagine is quite a big thing as well um to not just have that sort of outlet of a physical activity or sport mm. um or entertainment even like happening but actually to kind of be fully embraced and be part of that community yeah, absolutely. Um, there's a chapter in my book that actually looks at um, the effects of being a football supporter on your mental health. And that was one of the main things that I found out. And it, it was really interesting. So I learned a lot about myself in this chapter as well. But yeah, with Sutton, I feel like everyone's got my back there. Um, and it's it's a common experience for all football fans. I, I spoke to a guy, um, a Bournemouth fan, and he set up a, a group called Talking Cherries, which is a, a mental health support group for Bournemouth fans. And basically his idea behind it um, was that he says football is a tribal sport, which gets a lot of negative press. And there are obviously negatives to that. But also um, with, with tribal um, kind of atmospheres, you also get an element of social inclusion and community as well. If you all think, well, oh, Sutton are my club and I'll, you know, I'll have my mates backs no matter what if they're you know they're in they're at Sutton with me that you know we're, we're Sutton through and through thoughts like that um and I've always felt that I've always felt that um my mates from Sutton purely because of the fact we support the same football team will always be there for me and the friendship goes beyond um what your average friendship will be you know it's it's unconditional it's like like family um i know it's an example i've already made two minutes ago um but it it's a recurring theme really um so yeah and it, it was the same at talking cherries they all felt like they would always be there to support each other i mean having that support network um just always there for you is fantastic um when i opened up about my own mental health and I kind of came to understand my own mental health and maybe we'll come on to that in a, a bit more detail later but it was people from Sutton that I spoke to first about it which is interesting because the, the stereotype of football fans is you know lots of pints down the pub um, excess masculinity don't talk about your feelings just go to the game and, and go home afterwards but that's really not been the case for me um and I think the reality is most, um, I guess, like social groups of football fans, that there, there will be that um, empathy, that, that support there. Um, it's, it was a fantastic support network for me. And I, again, like I'm not the only one that thousands, millions of football fans across the country um, would be able to, to relate to the same thing. I think and it's also worth kind of, I think on, I agree with that. And I think on top of it as well, there are more, it feels like we're seeing the the bigger club 
clubs or the more elite level clubs that I would make personal assumptions where it's harder to have that kind of relationship or community around you. Um, they seem to be getting more involved with kind of those public campaigns. I know earlier this year we had like the Norwich City campaign around suicide prevention with really, really good video. Um, I can't remember, but I feel like there was a club that did something similar a couple of years ago as well. Um, and it seems like a slightly different approach to the conversation, almost that acknowledgement of like, we can't be here for everyone, but actually you can be here for each other and kind of the club trying to facilitate those mini communities between um, maybe it's season ticket holders because they're seeing each other more regularly, but creating that relationship and that supporter support, I guess, within the stands. Uh, so it does feel like it's kind of gradually coming across more and more and then having people like yourself that are sharing those insights of a personal journey alongside the sport I think really adds into sport not just being a place where we only talk about this mm. um it becomes like you said like it's your it's your close friends it's your family for some people it's almost like a religion or a faith and it creates that space where those more open conversations can happen it doesn't all have to be quite so factual um so aggressive in the way that we sometimes see it depicted as well um but you introduced kind of sharing your own experience there as well as, as part of some of the conversations you've had and, and the book as well um kind of where did your first experience with some of those struggles start and and how has that kind of journey gradually progressed to where we are now yeah so when I was a teenager, um, I struggled with my mental health quite a lot, but never really realized I was struggling with my mental health, if that makes sense, because I didn't know what mental health was. And we're talking probably a similar age. I, I started going to something actually, 12, 13. The, the first few years of secondary school, I'd kind of had my comfort blanket taken away. Um, I went to primary school in my local area, knew everyone, was two minutes away from everyone. If I, you know, I'd spend most evenings in the summer playing football, um, just around my mate's house on a, a patch of grass outside his house, the classic no ball game sign. Um, <laughs> went to, to secondary school um, with none of my mates. I didn't know anyone. Um, they all went to the local school. I went to a, a grammar school in town, um, which was a bit of a culture shock. Um, very kind of upper middle class. They didn't play football, which didn't uh, sit well with me. <laughs> and it was very competitive. And I, I just didn't ever fit in there. Um, I felt very, very down. Um, I hated going into school. Like I, I would stay awake on a Sunday evening deliberately because then it felt like it was longer before I'd then have to get up again um, and go in, I'd cry myself to sleep at times. I just hated it for years. Um, didn't have much of a social life because I, I didn't feel like I fit in with anyone there. Um, it was just a bad time, really. And I, I kind of thought it was normal. Um, thought everyone would be going through similar experiences. It was a tough you know, adjustment for everyone that age. Um, I probably never heard the term mental health until I went to university. And it was only there that I started to understand what was happening to me. Um, I went and got counselling uh, in my second year of university, I think, um, which helped. Uh, it just gave me a, a bit more knowledge about myself. Um, and yeah, got, got diagnosed with depression and anxiety, which made a lot of sense. Um, and now I'm more aware of, of those two those two things, if you like. I'm, I'm just a little bit better at managing it. I know my, my signs, my triggers, um, how I can help deal with it, how I can keep myself on track. So the, the idea with writing MatchFit um, is that a lot of people, uh, no matter what age they are, whether they're 13 when I first started going through that or like 50 in middle age, a lot of people won't know a lot about mental health. They might think it, only applies to people that have already been diagnosed with something so I've never been diagnosed with depression I've not got mental health or maybe they think it's only people that have been through serious trauma can experience negative mental health or that or they just think that mental health that you know maybe they're from an older generation they think mental health's all a load of rubbish there'll be a lot of people like that in many different camps of, of those I've just described and I won't match fit to be something people will read because they're football fans uh, first and foremost they find football interesting they're obsessed with football like me 
and then by reading the book by knowing or having an interest in football they then learn about mental health as well so i want football really to be a vehicle for driving greater mental health awareness and that's why i wrote match fit um i think it would be the, the sort of thing that might have helped me when i was younger um just to get help quicker and make everyone realize that actually you know there are footballers in this book that have played for england that have played in the premier league that have won champions leagues european cups and they're talking about their own mental health well football is an environment that the stereotype is that it's very macho, it's masculine. Um, you need to be strong to survive. But actually, being strong isn't hiding um, your mental health, hiding yourself away. It's it's speaking up, it's being confident to get help if you need it. And the people that have spoken to me for this book are, are living proof of that. So I wanted to share other people's stories um, to, to show that it can be done to normalise conversation around mental health. And ultimately, I, I, I just hope it will raise awareness and, and help people well, thank you for for sharing that your experience and also kind of an intro to to match fit as well i think it's really interesting the like you say the approach and the the particularly through football in this country like the the engagement that is there there are so many people that are so passionately involved and it either playing like you say recreationally or actively that are our fans our supporters even people that passively watch the sport as well there's so much engagement and i think it really does have that opportunity to do so much in terms of different campaigns and causes and like you say to encourage people to to have these conversations and there are still so many um kind of stigmas and miscomprehensions around what mental health mental health illness is and what it can look like and i think one of the things you kind of touched on there briefly is it is also the the people that might not be um diagnosed with a particular illness actually can still be affected by certain struggles and like you say those experiences that you were having as a child of being very apprehensive or anxious or worried about like the next day and that being something that you had repeatedly is a thing that like now we would talk about in terms of like different coping strategies and ways to support that person in an open dialogue um and while i am hopeful let's choose i'm hopeful that those conversations are happening much more now than they were when we were early teenagers um it's still not the case for everybody and i think that's where that work to continue the the awareness and education raising around mental health is so important and great when there are really focused mental things happening but that's not going to be accessible to everyone so having opportunities um like you were saying utilizing that engagement that exists within sports like football to host these conversations become become so important and i think one of the things you mentioned of providing that platform for other people to share as well and engaging other professionals that people might know and recognize and maybe make certain assumptions that they haven't been impacted by by these conditions illnesses or situations how how was it for you kind of having some of those early sort of thought processes around kind of hosting those conversations or sharing those stories and and having that engagement from people that might be recognizable by name mm. yeah footballers are, are role models these days i think it's really powerful um when they do share their stories we're, we're seeing a lot more famous people now um coming out speaking about mental health delhi ali did a fantastic interview um, I think off the top of my head, Ben Chilwell, Paul Pogba um, have spoken about mental health recently. So it's a very valuable thing. Um, it's interesting for me doing the interviews. Um, I, I, there's over 60 in the book and the, the, the technique that I had for them, um, the way I approach them, I think I was probably quite nervous at first because um, it can be quite daunting. Even speaking about my own story, to, to go into someone else's, it can feel quite mm. personal. I, I was very aware of not wanting to ask questions that would um, fluster people, if you like. 
Um, and I always made sure that before anything got published, I would send the draft of the chapter to the person involved so they could read through if they felt like they'd been taken out of context or misquoted, or if they just opened up and actually thought, you know what, I'm not ready for that to go public yet. Um, they could they could change it. No one did, uh, which was good. Um, and it, I think it, it showed that I'd done a reasonable job of, you know making sure I, I looked after everyone throughout the process um maybe I wouldn't have admitted it if they had wanted, wanted me to change something <laughs> but, uh, but it, yeah it was it was quite a daunting experience um by the time and, and I'm a, a very socially anxious person as well um I'm having counseling to to kind of overcome that now actually and I, I always thought it was a weird thing um writing much for it because i'll be interviewing people um i'll drop a few names i, I had marcus ben uh, paul lambert chris kirkland john Solarco. now these are people that i mean paul lambert won the european cup john Solarco played for england chris kirkland played for england marcus ben played in the premier league for years a very big name um and i was reaching out to these people um social media linkedin instagram twitter um and speaking to them over zoom having never met them before in my lives just out of nowhere and it, it was weird that I could have that sort of confidence um in that environment so it, I think it's helped me mm. help me to kind of realize that you know what's the worst that can happen um it, it's boosted my confidence and now I, yeah by the time I got to the 60th interview it was a whole different thing I got really used to doing it um and and hopefully I've brought out the stories in a way and it, always my aim was to bring out the stories in a way that will help people um, so there's a chapter on addiction, for example, where talking through the, the stories and the, I guess, the lows of people, um, however far they were happy to go, to to show to people that actually there's there's no shame in it. Uh, it's an illness. Um, you do reach lows that you, you look at and think, um, you know, it, God, if if you'd feel terrible if it was you i mean one of the guys he was you know stealing money off his parents to gamble and actually that's quite a common experience for problem gamblers but um if you didn't know about gambling addiction you had no knowledge of it you think what an awful person actually you read the chapter you understand how the illness works and you think okay you're not a bad person you're a sick person who needs to get better so I always try to bring out the stories in a way that help people relate if they're going through a similar experience to feel less bad about themselves, but also show them uh, the path to recovery or the path to, to better mental health, if you like, that worked for these people. So hopefully it can, um, the book can act as a, a signposting tool as well for, for people that are football fans, football players. Um, and for people that have no interest in football whatsoever, um, <laughs> I actually think some of the stuff in there could be useful for them. Um, so fingers crossed that it, it can work in the way that I intended it to. I think it's, like you say, sharing that journey as well, isn't it? Of Particularly, like you say, if you give an example of highlighting maybe the like the lowest point for someone or a particular situation, um, even if you if you imagine it being one of your friends or your family members like if this is the point that they get to um like oh how striking is that image from the like the image or the perception that you have of that person um but what you're doing is giving i don't know if context is quite the right word but giving some context or um shining a light on the the path that has been trodden to get there and also the path that's been trodden to recovery as well and giving some context to a thing that I think is really important in that kind of the prevention aspect that often isn't spoken about where it's so important to notice some of those earlier symptoms of there are things here that are just not quite as you would want them to be that's the time to kind of access support um, but often we're left either socially we're kind of ignored or we hide certain aspects of the thoughts or behaviors that we're we're going through and we continue to tread this path until we get to the situation like you mentioned where we're we're in maybe one of our worst um situations and all of a sudden it's like oh how did I get here and it's because we've kind of limited the opportunity for interaction or support at an earlier stage we've um societally i think i think it's getting better but often what happens is people are 
aren't encouraged to actually have those conversations we don't provide those spaces like we've talked mm -hmm. about kind of in that club setting where you've got those friends you've got those interactions you've got those people that recognize you and would ask if you weren't there last week oh, are you okay like what happened and i think that's the bit where people are often being left to get worse essentially and i think through the the way you're shining a light on those stories and the situations that have um happened and the journeys that have been experienced shows people there's lots of opportunities actually to have interaction conversation and intervention there as well um as well as obviously the important work where you you've kind of shone a light on the progression and the recovery afterwards as well um but i wonder if that felt quite different talking to other people and hearing their experience um given their role within a sport did it feel quite different to if you were talking to a friend or someone that you had more of a personal relationship with to kind of elite level elite level athletes yeah it, i think a lot of the stuff they were talking about um it is in a way unique to football um or not necessarily unique to football but um specific to football so things like dealing with pressure um it's not unique to football but it, it's particularly likely to come up within the context of the sport i think so some of the people i was speaking to um it, it was very much um kind of like a learning experience i mean you mentioned context i, I think context is a good way of putting it um I know about my own challenges in the environment I exist in, the way my brain works, the way different people's brains work are, are completely different. Um, a lot of footballers will have a almost like an obsessive personality to have got to the top mm. of their game. They have to have that. Um, I might not have that in some contexts. I might, you know, I might have it in others. Um, the chapter in addiction was really interesting um, because the traits of obsession or um dedication if you like can then also be linked to addiction they're linked to if with dedication to playing football to get to the top but also obsession with things an all or nothing um mm. attitude i think is how it was described by some people um i actually recognize that in myself um with my attitude to drink and I, i'm nearly a year sober now so i've managed to um pick up something useful to help myself from that if nothing else um, but there are some people I, I spoke to a book who have um, very kind of generic uh, or more more common, I would say, um, things to say, things to talk about. Um, the guy from Bournemouth, for example, um, talking about how being a football fan had helped his mental health. Um, so there's a huge variety in there. Um, coming back to your question, I don't want to go off topic too much. I mean, talking to to friends and family compared to talking to the, the pros. I think by the time I got towards the end of the book and my knowledge increased and I'd learned a bit more, it became more similar, if that makes sense. Mm. I think I, I began to get a, a better understanding um, of, of what different people might have been going through. Um, I, I mean, I, obviously, I, I didn't feel like I was personally able to to provide support to these to these people as I might friends and family and perhaps that's the difference the the reciprocal thing there mm. although in a hopefully in an indirect way other people will benefit from the conversations i've had so I, i've found it a really interesting experience heavy at times don't get me wrong um it, there were you know, conversations i had where i thought wow like that's tough um and then writing about it and in, in a way that will help people isn't always necessarily easy but I so say I, I learned a lot through the process. Um, I feel like I, you know, I, I think I did enjoy it at the end of the day. Um, mm. I felt like I was achieving something. Um, and yeah, like, like I said, fingers crossed that it, it does um, work out as, as I intended it to. Uh, I'm sure it will. I think the, the thing you mentioned before of just it being that opportunity for people that are interested or passionate about football and just want, a slightly different conversation or a different approach or to learn a little bit more in in a way that they feel kind of works for them they're a bit more at home within the environment of this is a football conversation that includes mental health stories rather than 
often we're kind of trying to encourage people to have mental health conversations it's like that's too I don't want to do that mm. I'm happy to talk about football that includes some mental health and well-being related things that's it that's it and it's a conversation starter football um how many times I've been you know at the game at the pub whatever and we've started talking about Sutton or League Two or whatever's going on and it kind of segues on to well, how are you doing um how's your mental health we might not directly ask that question, but mm. we'll get there in the end. It's it's a way to bring people together. Football, um, playing. I, I play on a Wednesday night. We've got an A team and a B team. I run it inevitably. I always organise everything. Um, so mm. I'm organising 18 people into the, the two teams there. I've got to meet people through it. Um, one of my flatmates now. I've, I met him through football, um, and we've ended up living together. Um, so yeah it it brings people together it's a conversation conversation starter sorry Um, Mm. and it allows conversation to to flourish and that includes conversation around mental health I think and one of the questions I was thinking as you're talking through that what was your experience obviously as someone as has that lived experience of of kind of mental health symptoms or illnesses as well um, how is it then hosting conversations from other people because you're almost acting kind of like as a it's almost peer-to-peer because you're kind of Mm. an element of the reason I'm doing this is because I have this lived experience and I want to share this but also the focus at the time is on the other person um how did it feel kind of having that experience as someone with lived experience and not just being a you're not just a journalist a reporter or someone kind of getting a story you're very much kind of in as part of that yeah, I, I think it helped people trust me a bit um, without ever having anyone explicitly tell me that. Mm. I think when I approached uh, people with the proposal for an interview, I always made it clear what I was intending to do with the book. It was always meant to be based off of the idea was based off my own experiences and it had a, a desire to help people. Um, so I, I think that allowed people to trust me a bit, um, perhaps open up a bit more than they would to a journalist. Um, I made it clear that, that I, I had no um, sort of ulterior motive. It was only ever one thing I wanted to do mm. with this. I was never going to make much money off it. Um, there wasn't going to be a story. I wasn't going to break any news to the sun or whatever that was going to put someone's <laughs> reputation in danger. It was always going to be um, one focus. Having the backing of my publisher, um, Pitch Publishing, from quite early on, uh, gave it a bit of legitimacy as well. Um, I think it just made the conversation a bit easier Um, and I could bounce things back on people as well from my own experience I could relate to what people were saying see if their experiences were similar to mine see if Mm. the the core way their their brain worked was similar to mine Um, I'm I'm a very all or nothing person um, without the football ability (laughs) that a lot of these guys have (laughs) Um, my all or nothing goes into other things so I could I could kind of relate to people in that way um, which kept the conversation going so I think it helped Um, it it definitely helped and it it's probably brought out um, a better end product than if I had been um, someone or if if I were to write a book on something I had no knowledge of for example I think that the fact that I yeah have some I wouldn't say subject I'm certainly not a subject expert but the fact that I've got subject experience, mm. um, I think makes it a, a better read than it would be otherwise. I think so. And that all, yeah, that all makes sense of, like you say, having that, um, I'm not sure this is quite the right phrase, but almost like that cultural knowledge mm. of like, I have experienced this, maybe it's not exactly the same as yours, but I have an idea of the context or the world in which we're talking about now. Um through your own lived experience I think that that totally makes sense and again gives that space for those conversations to happen I imagine Mm. I imagine as well um kind of through the that experience that you've had through those um interviews or conversations and now having the 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 book out there um are there tips or tools or things that you would encourage people to maybe use or look for when they're thinking about having conversations with people probably not writing their own book maybe but maybe more so just wanting to be able to facilitate that conversation with a friend or a family member and give them the space to to share maybe some of the things that they're experiencing yeah it's a it's a good question um 
I'd say for me, from my own experience, um, in, in opening up about my mental health, it's finding somewhere where you're comfortable in doing so. Close friends, family, um, being the obvious ones. Um, although it's not always the case for everyone. Um, it might be you find a community out there. And there are lots of brilliant um, groups now. There's um, like walk and talk groups, things like that. Um, which are, I guess, dedicated mental health groups. A lot of football clubs put stuff on. Um, so Newcastle, I featured in my book, they've got um, any football club as a community, whether it be Premier League or lower league, and they've set up um, mental health support groups within Newcastle United. So if you're a supporter of a Premier League team, maybe that's where you go um, to the community programme that most of these clubs seem to have. So definitely um, find somewhere you're confident. Um, the, the main thing I'll always reiterate um, it's a theme throughout the book. It's something I've said in interviews before. It's that it's a strength and not a weakness to talk about your mental health. Um, it makes us better versions of ourselves if we can get mental health support. I mean, what's the point in sitting there suffering in silence like I did? It doesn't benefit anyone. Um, it doesn't prove anything to anyone. Um, it's, it's just making you um, less happy than you can be. It's making you below the potential you can be. For absolutely no reason. Um, it, it's I know it's easier said than done, of course, but um, I, I really, truly do believe that um, it is a strength to talk about our mental health when we feel comfortable doing it, when we have people that we feel comfortable speaking to. Um, we should 100% do that. Um, support like counselling when it is available. Again, um, I think a lot more people should um, have counselling. I think it should just be a normal thing like going to a physio if you've had an injury or um, even just to get, and we have health checkups with work, with Bupa, um, mental health checkups. Um, why not? It's it's still mm. health. Um, and that is actually included in the, the Bupa assessment. So we are getting there in society. Granted, counselling's um, not always easily available. Um, there's waiting lists with the NHS. I'm lucky that I have health insurance through work. But explore the options that are available to you. Um, if you do have health insurance with work, see what it covers. If not, um, there are ways that you can get counselling. Um, I played in a charity football match on Saturday, um, a charity called Better, a suicide prevention mental health awareness charity based down in uh, London and Surrey. And Razak from from the charity who was talking about how they now offer free therapy sessions for people who who need them six free sessions i think it is now so stuff like that um be aware of what's out there um in a i guess professional support basis but yeah like the the one thing it all comes down to is it's a strength and not a weakness to talk about your mental health that, that's the one thing i, I really want to drive home i think that's uh, a really important point to get across especially like you say when we're talking about sport and about football where there sometimes is as we said a few times that that almost that competition that all or nothing that needs to be the the quickest the fastest the strongest and our perception as to what that looks like sometimes as well mm. and like you said taking the time to to reflect and giving yourself time to process and review and talk about some of the things that are, are going on and that might be having conversations with friends or family it might be accessing a service um there's lots of different ways that that, that journey and that experience can go but it feels like most of the positive ones involve talking um if you've got that friend you want to listen out for then listening's maybe your thing rather than talking um but it's being there and i think it's been really interesting to hear you talk through kind of that a combination of your own experience and the process through the book and the communities that that you live within as well and I was just wondering if there if there's kind of that linear process with your own lived experience of how conversations have helped you over time or different projects or activities that you've interacted with that you feel were particularly impactful maybe or maybe maybe there are some that weren't I don't know um for my own I guess my own benefit and what's helped me certainly opening up at the football was I guess, the first um, kind of well, it was the start really before then I'd been harboring everything away and that certainly didn't do me any good <laughs> I can tell you that much um, so that that was a good start for me I think since then um, both um, 
how would you describe them not sessions programs of counseling that i've had mm-hmm. over 10 sessions have been very helpful because they've helped me um understand myself um like i said at the start my triggers how to deal with it how to stay on top of my own mental health um not a talking related thing but giving up drinking has been massive for me because i did have a, a drink problem um there's, there's no denying that and that's that's changed my life in the last 11 months um and then actually writing the book has been very helpful <laughs> for my mental health um i, I always found that writing um, whether it was something that's going to be published or diary writing um was just quite cathartic um it's you know it was, it was nice to to put pen to paper get my thoughts down um and with the writing it it gave me a purpose um mm. gave me something to to focus my energy on and i always need to be doing something i i have a personality where i can't um i can't relax basically <laughs> uh, which isn't always a good thing um and I, I would like to change parts of that but it is what it is um so doing the writing has helped me um yeah really kind of have a purpose if you like um so that was good for me um maybe similar things would work for other people whether like I say whether it's diary writing or actually saying right I'm gonna write this book and if it gets published great if not fine um it's been something to to do and I'm sure your mates will read it anyway um (laughs) that's pretty much how my first book came about it was writing something I thought my mates would read and it ended up getting published so you never know um so on a personal level that's um that's what's helped me of course different things work for different people but um certainly yeah i would recommend uh, giving any of those a try sure thank you for sharing that i think yeah it's so interesting that approach of you sort of mentioned like you say with the writing of whether it's not, whether it's published or not whether people read it or not and i guess it comes back to that like sort of why are you doing it and um sometimes it is because you want people or a particular person to read it but sometimes it's also that just that process of just trying to literally getting it out of your body whatever these the like the thoughts or the processes are that are happening just going right the fact it is now on paper it's it's kind of removed from you and I know there are different types of I don't know if they're like therapy or counseling actions where they do like the rip it up or set it on fire or mm-hmm. whatever but I think just sometimes just that process of writing those things down kind of can help push them out or or help you kind of move through or break the cycle of those as well so really interesting to hear kind of how how that can also be linked to um the the journey that you've gone through and picking up on like you say if there are particular issues or aspects to your well-being or to your health um whether that's alcohol or or anything else i think that that reflection happens in a safe space often having those conversations and that opportunity to to kind of reflect on the impact of how we live our lives I think um it's so funny so often um I think people sometimes forget like we we usually think we are living a good healthy life and it's not until sometimes you stop and pause and reflect and go oh actually because you're so used to it, it becomes your routine it becomes your every day and that is the behavior that we think we're doing we think we're nice and accessible to, to everybody but there will be ways that we can change and adapt things so it does require that reflection and sometimes that interaction with another person who can see you in a slightly different way and that's where you know the friend or the colleague or or maybe the professional service comes in and, and can offer some some support there as well yeah absolutely um it's been really lovely to sit down and, and chat through I, th- I feel like we probably could have done another hour mm-hmm. um but we're coming up to our time so it'd be really interesting if people would like to find out a little bit more about you johnny whether it's about um the book or about yourself and where are the kind of the places or the websites that are best for them to go to find out about you yeah, so I, I do actually have a website. Um, it's just my name, Johnny Lowry, um, .co.uk. Um, so there's a little bit of info on me there, um, links to buy the books. Um, so essentially, Amazon, Waterstones uh, are probably the, the two easiest places to go, um, as with anything book related these days. <laughs> um, I'm on social media on Twitter or X, whatever we're calling it now. Um, it's at added six, so added S I X. It's a name based on my first book that I can't actually change now. Um, I've also got Instagram, uh, Johnny S U F C. Um, 
yeah, I think that's probably probably the the best bet. LinkedIn as well, if you're that way inclined. Um, if you're a more professional than social media based. Um, don't really use it very much, but I I, I am there. So uh, yeah, <laughs> you'll That's get the, the emails. Uh, yeah, <laughs> they're, they're, they're like ten pointless notifications a day that I never read through. But uh, yeah, I, I am on it. Um, so yeah, the, the, that's yeah, the the places to to find me online. Amazing! Thank you so much for for coming on and for for sharing your experience and give us some insight to to match fit and all of the work you're doing around kind of mental health conversations as well. I think it's so valuable to have advocates for, for mental health and well-being like yourself willing to share their own lived experience so thank you so much thank you and thanks for having me on mike much appreciated these are real people they do have struggles and it starts to get on my nerves i just shut down so many people suffer from mental illness to get the word out that men have got to start talking a lot of people don't understand the depth of the situation, so they can't appreciate, yeah. It's difficult dealing with our minds, and the suicidal thoughts were back. People knew that there was something not right, but they just never really said anything or probably felt like it wasn't their place to say anything. You're not depressed, it's, it's all in your head. That's probably the statement I've had people say the most. I mean, this, this, this shit is real and it's hard, it's exhausting. Sometimes you need somebody to just give you permission. And I think people realise how helpful that one conversation can be just to figure out why you are feeling the way you are. Not only did this help me to write it, it potentially might have helped some other people as well. So it sort of started from there. People just want to know that this, they just want to know that they're safe to talk and share these things. So many people think they're alone. And then you hear other people talk about it and they think, oh, that's, you know, that's so brave or I could relate to that. Um, and then they want to talk about it.